All right, three, two, one. Sean Teed, welcome to the Hive. Uh, thanks for having me today. What's going on? Not man, just got done training. You know, working hard. So, what do you got coming up? Uh, I have the UFC Contender Series, and that's why we're training. Yeah, training hard. Yeah, so it's pretty awesome. You've been around on the local circuit for a while. What's the farthest away you've ever trained? You've ever fought? That's. Um, Has it been mostly tri-state area? Or? Yeah, I've only fought in Atlantic City and in uh, Pennsylvania. Okay, what's your record? Uh, five and one. That one loss is to Zoo, right? Yep. Yeah, and Zoo's in the UFC, so that that's that's good. So if you're going to get a rematch, at least you get to do it on a bigger stage, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully that happens one day. Um, you know, he has a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, so if he's there. Did he just that, get popped? He uh, he got caught for something. Um, I don't know officially what it was. Was but he a USADA pop? Or it something? was a USADA pop. Okay, so he got caught for something. Yeah, after his, his one fight. And is he on suspension? Because I saw him post something he was saying that he's out for a while yeah i think he has six months left i think it was a one-year suspension or something like that all right so he copped for it at least so he knows what he got busted for and why fight it some of these guys trying to fight these things it blows my mind and they try and blame it on food and stuff they actually i know a guy in mexico got off because they actually trace back to where he ate and they like there's crazy high traces of stuff and then in china the amount of stuff they find in the food in china is is like off the charts it's crazy yeah i'm sure but yeah I mean, you got to really watch it, especially with the USADA guys up your butt. So, but you're not there yet. You got to get you got to get through this fight, and then we got to get that contract. Yeah, definitely got to go in there and uh, make a big, big statement. Yeah. So you fought um, primarily on Kate Fury. Is that the bulk of your fights? Um, every single one of my pro fights have been with Kate Fury. Wow, look at that! You're a Kate Fury guy. Yeah, I was. You know, six fights for them. How long you've been fighting them? Um, about three years. Did you fight amateur? Uh, yeah, I went three and zero as amateur, and then you went pro. Yep. And you've done all that in three years. Uh, yeah. Wow. I fought a lot really fast. Just it's really good. Yeah. Get the experience. How old are you? I'm 26. Okay. Why did you start fighting so late? Um, I actually started training jujitsu and stuff when I was like 18, and the reason it took me so long is that I was like 340 pounds, so it took me like two years to lose all that weight and then started to pursue fighting. It took me a long time to actually get my amateur fights just because nobody wanted to fight me because I was such a good jujitsu guy. And you're big. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's hard to find big guys. We know that. I mean, just from sparring, it's hard to find big guys, let alone trying to get guys to fight you. There's not a lot of heavyweights around. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, it was hard for me to get my six fights too. Like, I just kept hounding, you know, Arius at the CFFC for that. You know, they had to fly some guys in from different states and stuff for all those. With getting involved in training, so what made you go to jiu-jitsu? Um, I was a wrestler. and actually, Was it a natural progression or was there something that you saw? Like somebody said something? What was the thing that made you think, hey, I'm a wrestler. Let me try this jiu-jitsu thing out. Um, it was actually from my dad's friend, Kevin. He was actually coaching at Ricardo Amadas at the time. And I got in, like, a little scuff at school, and I ended up beating the crap out of the kid. And then he was like, you know, you really should try jiu-jitsu. You're a wrestler. You know, wrestlers make really good jiu-jitsu players. And it just led into that. Then Ricardo invited me because he saw something in me and invited me to go spar and stuff like that. And, you know, I've been in it ever since. Nice. So it's weird how it goes. I always find that when I talk to successful people, usually the path of success starts with somebody they know 
seeing an opportunity to put their skill set with whatever it is and you know that's that's kind of the beginning of it i always like to see that it's almost you have a strong mentoring system you know you get somebody that sees your talent gives you an opportunity and then if you end up with the right group you end up with the right people around you and they mold you and help you grow and that's what's beautiful about the marshall system you know so it's you keep that coach and athlete relationship alive and it matures over time into something different so it's one of the things i like to see yeah i got lucky getting into the group of people that i got into when i did because you know that when frankie was emerging on the scene really hardcore you know nick was out of there henzo was still there bill duff was still out of there the guy from the human weapon yeah yeah he was out of there uh paul white was out of there There was a lot of guys tom blast was still fighting at the time there was a lot of big heavy hitter guys out of there at the time so you know luckily i was molded by that group that's the, that was the beginning of them becoming what they are yeah exactly and then you know i had my amateur fights you know i kind of you know made some mistakes you know traveled around did you know other teams and stuff like that and then you know came right back and that's when Corey was coming right off the show Corey anderson Corey anderson yeah and i uh he beat me worse than i ever got beat in my entire life and uh that was a revelation that i had that you know hey i want to be where this guy is um you know taking that whoop and go to another room and you know like you know almost having them crocodile tears <laughs> And, you know, then taking it from there, you know, that was really one of the biggest turning points in my career, mentally. I remember being 27 years old, thinking I knew a lot. And I went and trained with Arnie Soledell at the newly established K1 gym in Long Island. Arnie came from Japan to represent K1 in the U.S. And he saw me win an event and he asked me to come train. And, this, and at the time... I believe he was about 40. I'm 27. He whooped my ass from one end of the mat to the other for an hour straight. I have never been so demoralized in my life. I walked in there like thinking I was something that he let me know real clearly I was not. And it wasn't even it wasn't stronger faster. This dude was just an assassin. He yeah. dropped me with a liver shot. Then he hit me in the liver again. And then he hit me in the liver and followed up with a high kick. Then he knocked my leg basically off. And it was just a surgical strike where he just picked me apart. And that was the one where, again, you're, you know, you're trying to hold your shit together. Yeah. You go in the other room and it's, then you, have to, you get to that point where you say, do I want to really do this or not? And if you're a fighter, you want to do it, and then you come back and you take your beating again, but you're a man on a mission now, and it's a different story. It's weird. You, you need that switch. You need somebody to humble you, to keep you hungry, and you just have to get into that place where, yeah, do I, do I actually – now I see there's that level. Do I want to be that level, or is this not for me? Yeah, it was definitely a big turning point. It was, you know – he was hot. He was hot to trot right off the show. You know, was murdering everybody on the show. I didn't know at the time he was in the finale because it was all hush hush. We, yeah, I kind of suspected because he was there I'm and like, he was yeah. training that hard. Yeah, and he was training that hard. I'm like, he's doing something, and uh, yeah, man. And they were like, oh yeah, he'll be good to spar with you and stuff like that. You know, I was in Atlantic City for somebody's fight the night before. I came in there. It was before I even had any of my amateur fights, mm -hmm. and I had like a fight like two weeks away. And, dude, he beat me so bad. And then I fight ended up getting canceled and stuff like that. Oh, it was, it was bad. But it was one of those things that if it was going to break you, that was going to break you. And it didn't. It made me want to go 
you know, what makes this guy so special that he wo- he whoops me like that? I get shit on sometimes. Guys get mad at me because they think we go too hard at times. And honestly, that experience that you just described, the earlier somebody can get hit with that, you can either know you're on the right path or realize that you've been wasting your time. Like, I really, I don't, I mean, we don't, the system is not designed to go after people relentlessly. But if you're going to set, if you make the declaration that I want to be a pro, that I think this is going to be my career, and you have the audacity to walk into a room that has high level pros in it, I think babying that guy is not a favor. I think that ass whooping is the reality check they need to decide if that decision was the right one or yeah, not. Yeah, trial by fire. You know, that's Six. the biggest thing. And the thing that pissed me off about Corey so much that made me train so much harder is he, when I was amateur, he always used to say, oh, you're not that bad for an amateur. And I used to sting my ass <laughs> so bad. Oh, it was so bad. Yeah, if that doesn't hurt, though, you're not competitive. You know, you can't, you can't let that stuff, you can't take it to heart to the point that, it gets in the way of your ability to focus and function, but you definitely need that that fuck you in you when people say that stuff because that's that's the grit that gets you through the rough ones. So I I trained Phil Caracappa. Phil Caracappa has put himself in the most god awful positions in every freaking fight, and he always gets out of it because he's just he's got that fuck you in him like hard. I yeah. mean, he just he refuses to lose, and I and I think that's part of the fighting mentality is there are guys that I know that are highly skilled but they don't have it they don't have it in them to do whatever it takes to win they go out and they use their skill but they're missing that winning mentality and that's one of those ones you have to be broken and still come back over and over and over and forge that drive where I had somebody a long time ago told me they were like here's the key to tie boxing as long as there's one second left on the clock, no matter what happened in that fight, you have an opportunity to knock him out, and you have to be hungry for the knockout. Yeah. You could be winning or you could be losing, but you should be trying to finish. And if you carry that mentality through your fights, you will win way more than you lose. Yeah, definitely. You can, it's one of those things that you can't really teach somebody to have that grit, no. to bite down on that mouthpiece, and just go for broke when you have to. That's the thing you got to find within yourself. I've seen guys that didn't have it. But figured it out. Yeah. I can't figure that out for anyone. That's one of those things they have to figure out, and that's why I think the tests are so important. Where you have to push somebody to the point where they really get up to that edge, and they say, "I'm either going to jump off and do this, or I'm going to go back and I'm going to go figure out something else. I'm going to go drive a truck or something." Yeah, like, I, I can't make you push through that adversity. Yes. that's the biggest thing. You know, at the end of the day, it's a solo sport when you're out there. Yeah, you know, you can be screaming at me in the corner all day. You still have to do it, and I have to do it. That's yeah. the biggest thing, and that's what a lot of people, they don't have that push, yes. and that's what separates mediocre fighter from great fighters. I say it all the time. If you follow my Instagram, I'm constantly saying it. I say we train as a team to achieve individual goals because we all need each other to push each other and to learn this, but when it comes time to perform, it's up to us. Yeah, that's like us on Saturdays. It's just, yeah. you know, we go in there, you know, we're really good friends off the mat, We go, but when we're out there sparring, you know, we obviously don't try to hurt each other, but we're out there. Yes, you do. It's okay. It's okay. You can say it. It's okay. It's your job. You make you guys make a. You guys shook hands and said we're going to go out and do our work. You're not. If the kill shots there, you're not trying to kill each other, yeah. but you're going to work each other. Yeah. If I rock you, I'm not going to head kick you. Yeah. Like if you're that. like you're not trying to put them away when they're hurt, but if a guy gets caught, he gets caught. It's yeah, exactly. the nature of the beast. Yeah. That is. So again, I've been doing this a long time, and. 
it's been only a few occasions in my life have I been fortunate enough to see a group of people develop to what you guys have going right now. And what, the, the one thing I, I appreciate so much about the, the work with Carl Roberson and Corey Anderson and you and then Rex Harris and, you know, anyone else who comes through in that circle, you guys do have that handshake where it's like we're, we're, we're all close, but we're here to do work. And I'm not trying to hurt you because I want to hurt you. I'm trying to hurt you so that you're prepared so no one else can. Yeah. And, you know, you laugh and you hug afterwards and, you know, you bro hug it out and you're all good. And nobody's carrying animosity onto the next session. Nothing. It's you're out. You're doing work. You understand the intention. You, you put it out there. And that's why the results have been what they've been. And, I mean, Corey was showing me when we were in Brazil for Carl's fight. Corey was like, you're not going to believe this. He pulled out his iPad and he showed me his first sparring session with Carl. And I was like, holy shit, this is ugly. And then he showed me the last sparring session they had. And it's like two completely different people. And it's because of the amount of work they put in. They've been doing this four years together now on Saturdays. And to see that and all you guys, to see the evolution, see the addition of things you're doing and the conversations that you have and everybody's sharing their, their stuff, you know. You've got good grappling, but, you know, everybody's pushing you to go into different things. And that's why, you know, we're starting to work now because you're trying to get your striking up and this and that. And it's like everybody's pushing each other to round out their skill set and get better. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that, you know, you see what somebody is really good at. Like, I'm really good at wrestling and jujitsu. So it ends up me and Corey end up striking a lot more because, we you know, if we just get into a wrestling match, it's a wrestling match for 15 minutes. Yeah, and you're not going to get any better just doing what you're good at. Yeah. You got to do it all. That's, a bit, that's the reason I like really going with Carl. Carl's the first person to ever drop me with a body kick. And that body kick he dropped you with, by the way, is the thing that got him the the look that started the change on everything because they were there to film you that day. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, he made that switch left body kick to and the liver. He, and then he yeah. hit you with a knee follow-up mm-hmm. and it was just a bad day. It was Carl's best day yeah. and everybody else in the room, he knocked Rex out cold that day. I remember, yeah. He, it, that was just Carl was on fire. Yeah. But again, he had a year of pent-up aggression. Mm-hmm. He, Carl tore his bicep in half and literally sat with his arms strapped to his body for eight months and then he trained for about a month and then went back to the room and just was a monster. Yeah. Monster. He just annihilated people. That was insane. Yeah, he's one of those guys that definitely uh, hits you with some uh, intent a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like the one day when I had to, throw, have to throw him across the room. Yeah. Well, you. it's funny. Carl's not a little boy. No. He's a big dude. Yeah. But when you hit people, they're always like, Fucking teed, he's huge. Okay, you're a big guy for sure, but, you know, they always have that excuse. You never have the ability to say, well, he's bigger than me. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody says, I'm like, why'd you try and kill teed? Well, he's so big and he hit me. I'm like, ugh, all right, here we go again. I'm the big guy in the room. <laughs> the big guy's always got the bullseye. Yeah. yeah, he tried to kill you. You hit him with that body kick and then he literally chased you about 60 feet. Mm-hmm. And then you slammed him. Yeah. I sack <laughs> throwed him over my head. It was just funny. But again, because of the nature of the room, literally everybody stopped and started to laugh. Nobody was like, hey, 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 don't do it, don't do it. It was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, there's certain guys in that room that you let, they let get away with that. But like, um, there's certain guys in the room that they would have broke it up immediately. Yeah. Saturday was interesting when Phil and the Russians were about to go at it. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, it was definitely that was a, a that is event. truly a clash of cultures. Yeah, that was definitely two different mentalities not figuring each other out well. No. So, but violence was averted, and then sparring was 
you know, resumed. They, fin- they finished out the round. And they stuff. finished out yeah. their round, and they were cool afterwards, but it got a little heated. But it's nature of the beast, man. So fight sports should happen sometimes. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've had a few guys come in there, you know, that were heavyweights from different places and stuff, and you're, you're like, oh, i got to put my hands on this guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the way the rooms go. I mean, I've had sparring sessions here, which basically have turned into fights, and there are times you, you know you got to break it up, and other times you know you got to let them work it out. Whatever's going to put them in a position where they can shake hands afterwards, mm-hmm. and sometimes, depending on the guys, it's got to go. We had two weeks ago, I had two guys sparring, and it got pretty heated, and people were like, yo, you're going to break that up? And I'm like, no, they're kind of figuring it out. It's, like, it's, it's going full speed right now, but they're staying within the rules, and they're pushing each other, so let's see. And it was kind of like, fuck you a little bit. And then, you know, each one of them started to catch each other a little bit more, and then it kind of chilled out, and they worked it through, which was fine. So, But, again, if you walk on that mat with the intention of competing, you got to give them, you know, you got to give them the leeway to figure that out more. Because the, cause the, the, the end result re- really has a sense of urgency to it that's way different than if you're doing it recreationally. Yeah, definitely, because there's um – there's not a definitive timeline of this sport, but it's not a long-term sport. No. So you need to get in and get it done while you can. Yeah, the crazy stuff with all the information coming out is if you do this wrong too, you may be in this for a short amount of time, but you got the rest of your life to live with the, the side effects of the sport. I mean, I, I know. I was laughing. My barber was a boxer. He was a heavyweight boxer out of Gleason's. And yesterday, because he was talking about he's having some problems with his body. He's like, uh, He's got issues with like his endocrine system and shit like that. And I said to him, I said, do you, do you have trouble going on roller coasters and rides and stuff? And he's like, oh, man, if I go on a, more than, like, one or two roller coasters, like, forget it. I get a bad headache. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I was like, that's that CTE shit, I'm pretty sure. Our brains from getting hit so much. Yeah. I mean, I went on a ride at, like, I Play America with my son, and it was bouncing me around. And I had a headache for two days after it. Wow. Because just you got to be careful how you go about this. So you have that window. You have to put the work in, but you do have to take – the information that's available today and you do have to make sure that you push yourself a certain way mma there's so many skills you have to know like kickboxing you just kickbox you know maybe you box too because you want to get your hands better or whatever but it's a narrow focus and you just get pounded in that focus for your whole career so you take a tremendous amount of damage where mma there's so much you have to know that you can't put the same amount of time that a specialist puts in in one thing so it gets broken up and i feel like the damage gets spread out more which is it sounds like it would be worse, but it's actually better. It's less focused. You're not taking as many headshots as a boxer would. You're not taking as many, you know, liver hits as a kickboxer is, or, or you know, you're not doing the same trauma that a wrestler goes through, and you may not have the same back problems that a lifelong jujitsu guy is going to have. It's different. You, your body, it just, it overall probably takes more accumulative damage, but spread out, it diffuses the long-term impact differently. Yeah, definitely. But um, having access to really good places to do like recovery nowadays is yes. really good. Like you know, uh, over at Thrive, getting the acupuncture and having them work on your back and stuff like that. You know, preventative maintenance. Yeah, the guys at Thrive change the game for everybody I know that are working with them, and it's they take a holistic approach to it. I don't want this to sound like an infomercial for them, Mm-mm. but just it it the results are the results. I mean, I I. I Everything is results. Yeah. I know people that have relationships with people that tell them that they're going to do stuff for them and it never really materializes. With them, I see results immediately for the guys that go to them. Yeah. Recovery is really important. That's the biggest thing is that knowing, really listening to your body, you know, going there, telling them what you, what's going on. But not even if you just don't go to them, like actually listening to your body. Like there's one thing, 
you know, just not want to do a workout because you're a little bit tired. But it's another thing not doing a workout because you're hurt or something like yeah. that. Yeah, well, that was that was my, my grandfather used to tell me all the time. He goes, are you hurt or are you broken? He's like, are you just, no, I'm sorry, are you hurt or are you feeling pain? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I, I fucked that all up. It's fine. Uh, my wife is almost due. Like, we're at 39 weeks right now, and my wife's been having labor. She's basically been in labor for about three weeks. The yeah. contractions never stop. So my sleep schedule is up and down, and I'm finding it's having a little bit of a weird effect on my energy level and my memory because <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't sleep straight through, and it's a little stressful because we never know when we're running to the hospital to have this thing. It's like it's craziness thing, my son. Yeah, it's a lot it's of surprises. It yeah, looks like. it's just crazy. My life is in limbo right now. Yeah. Every time I'm, I want to commit to do a lot of things, but I can't because I'm sitting here waiting by the phone. My phone just rang now, and I'm like, oh, is that hurt? No, someone else who cares. Okay, it's a lot okay. of false starts. Like, yeah. You start the race? Oh, no. We've been in the hospital twice. That's crazy. Quite. Yeah, because before you went to Brazil, yeah. I got off the fucking plane. That's crazy. It was nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but it is what it is. But uh, where I was going with, um, you know, you basically, if you're broken, if you're actually hurt, that's one thing. If you're feeling pain, it's another. Uh, coming out of full contact karate is a little bit different. The, the Japanese, the, the misunderstanding of the Japanese way, the misinterpretation of it by people in, in, in the, the West, they took a lot of stuff that was supposed to be inspirational, philosophical, and they made it, they took it very literally. So there's a lot of bogus, like bro science that, you know, if something's broke, if you just keep using it and using it, it'll get accustomed and it'll fix itself. Well, that just doesn't happen. That just creates a chronic injury. Yeah. So there was a lot of pushing through being broken, which led to permanent damage. And the mistakes of my youth I pay for today, but the people I train benefit from it because I've really come to understand how far I can go and when I should stop. And I've learned to appreciate rest and recovery and you know, I was kind of the guinea pig for how I train my guys today. So I know when a guy can go further, and I know when it's safe, and I know when it's unsafe. And we we can make these decisions based on experience. And, you know, that's why it's really important when whoever you're working with is an experienced person that has actual science and knowledge to back up what it is they're saying. You know, we get a lot of guys that come into this business that don't really know what the fuck they're talking about, and they hurt a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of dumb shit. A lot of the bro science. You know, people that think you can condition organs and stuff. You know. Yeah, you only can get kicked in the liver so many times. Yeah. I and it's funny. I tell everybody when they fight because if you watch highlight reels of your opponent, you can start to feel like they're Superman. It can fuck with you. Like you watch if you watch a highlight reel of somebody you're going to fight, you're only going to see those few moments when they're at their best, doing the most damage. Yeah. And you have to remind yourself that they have a solar plexus, that they have a liver, that they, they have the nerve cluster in a thigh like you do. And they all have a chin and they all have a nose and they all have a temple and they all have the same openings we all do. And no one's Superman. Some guys have a tougher chin, but nobody's got a tougher temple. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's got a tougher liver. You know, some of us have bigger livers than others because of things we do recreationally. But, you know, the, the liver, you hit it, you're going down. I don't care who you are. Yeah. And that's why when you go into a fight, it doesn't matter who you're, who you're fighting, how big they are. If you know how to hit it in the right spot, you can get them. Yeah, plus you can't go out there mentally. If you go out there thinking your opponent is Superman, you broke yourself already. Yeah, you need to feel like you're Superman. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to go out there and literally murder this guy, and he's never going to fight again. Have you ever had in sparring that like, you get in a zone where you go to spar, and you feel like you're Superman? 
and you take shots that normally would bother you and they don't bother you as much, like even to those areas I'm talking about, like you get cracked in the chin. The day you're really in that zone, it doesn't bother you as much as the days you're looking for a way out. Do you ever get ever been in that spot? Yeah, I've been in that quite a few times actually. Um, it's crazy how your mental state affects yeah. your ability to take damage. Yeah, it's just a, it it's weird. Like you know, the night, the sleep the night before yep. can affect how you spar. You know what you ate the night before. You know if I have a really good, you know, if I like to eat pasta before sparring, like the night before, <laughs> and it makes me feel good. But if I don't eat anything like that, I feel like crap the next day normally. Or if I don't get eight hours of sleep or stuff like that. Do you think you physically feel like crap because you didn't do the right thing? Or do you think that mentally you've, you're freaking out because you didn't do your routine? Nah, it's, it's getting into a routine. A lot of this stuff is, you know, just really mental. Yep. Fighting's a huge mental mental thing. At a certain part, everybody's kind of on the same, really same, close to the same level. And it's who has the more mental toughness sometimes. I think that's every time. Except when the technique is really far apart. Yeah. And that's where, in MMA in particular, that's where the, the groundwork comes into play. Because when the fight hits the floor, you could be the best athlete. You could be the most determined. You could be the most explosive. You could be the hungriest. But if the other guy knows how to choke you out, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a like a surgeon, it's a bad day. Yeah, you know. And I'm not saying this because of our fight that we had in Brazil recently with Carl. But at the same time, you know, the the Carl had the striking experience. The other guy had the grappling experience. And on the feet, Carl was definitely doing his thing. But he got caught on takedown. And you know, a, a decade fight career with over 20 fights really showed that guy was able to change gears and put his submission skills to work. You know, you have to have it everywhere. Yeah, it's one of those things that you have to really be a really complete fighter. But Carl's young, you know, that was, you know, oh. he t- takes he should take nothing negative away no, from that. No, yeah. if anything, it's just an eye-opener for what has to be done for him because Carl's one of these guys that I can't make Carl do anything he doesn't want to do. Yeah. And it just wasn't – he just didn't want to focus on that aspect of the game to the degree that he needed to. And no matter what anybody would say, it just wasn't going to be there. He needed to make that decision. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier with you can't teach a guy heart. Well, you can't teach a guy who doesn't want to be taught. Yeah. But, um, you know, I – I like rolling with Carl and stuff like that. You know, I might even ask him to start rolling after sparring on Saturdays and stuff like that. Yeah, he's actually a way better grappler than people give him credit for. Yeah, no, I've grappled with him before. <laughs> yeah, he he he's actually uh, he he. What the fuck happened here? All right, we're still good. But um, yeah, he's a way better grappler than people give him credit for. Uh, because our striking is is. What it is here, a lot of people don't even realize that I have a grappling background too. Mm-hmm. So my guys have more submission wins than we have knockouts. Yeah, but our knock, uh, our striking kind of sets up our submissions because you know, I had I had a, I was sitting after a Matrix fight in Philly. I was sitting with like, um, was it Helson Gracie? And he he goes, you know, it's like your belt. You no matter. He go, guy got black belt. You punch him in face. He brown belt. You punch him again. He purple belt. You kick him in the leg. He blue belt. You keep hitting him eventually. You know, he white belt. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty much the case. So yeah. I don't give a shit how good your grappling pedigree is. If you don't have the ability to get us down, we're going to hit you. And we're going to degrade your skills because you're going to be trying to figure out what day it is while we're doing work. Yeah. That's the goal. A lot of jiu-jitsu guys don't have wrestling. It's the weirdest no. thing ever. Like you can have some super high level black belt guys that have zero wrestling that will not take you down. 
and it, it baffles me. I don't understand how anyone that would get into MMA would ignore wrestling because to me, wrestling is the glue that binds it all because that's the transition. Transitioning is everything. Transitioning between skills is everything in a fight. It's not how hard you hit or how good your submissions are. If you don't have the ability to close the distance, connect with that person and be able to block their shot or take that shot or whatever, wrestling's the key, man. Yeah. That's just like the glue. Um, I wrestled. And I've always continued to absorb wrestling. I pay attention to wrestling. My my striking game evolved tremendously when I started to work with high-level wrestlers. I wanted to go in MMA because I really started to look at the skill sets, and I realized that there were so many parallels. I'm like, okay. There's like this Japanese thing was told me once before. It was that if you learn how to do one thing well, you now have the ability to do everything well. And physically, that is the truth. There's only one real efficient way to move the human form, and I don't care what art you practice, at the highest level, everybody's kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. Like you might be on the ground, but you're still moving in the same weight-shifting pattern that I find effective on the feet. And if you're transitioning with your wrestling skills, it's the same kind of thing. It's hips, it's shoulders, it's transition to weight, it's understanding being on your heel or being on your toes and timing and distance. It's all the same puzzle. Yeah. It's all the same puzzle, just different arenas of usage. Just a different way to put it together. Yeah, and that's why I found... The most success I started, when I started to actually find consistent success, when I was able to translate my, my striking understanding in a way that a wrestler and a grappler would understand by breaking it down in their language. And that, that's what I found worked the best. Cause, and I, it's funny, I had this conversation with somebody the other night. Uh, I really didn't understand when I was younger. I didn't understand that people had to get information in a way that they wanted to get it for it to be truly effective. I used to think like, no, you have to figure out how to absorb what I'm telling you instead of understanding that I have to translate my information in a way that you're going to understand. And that was just the arrogance of youth. Yeah. And then I started to really focus on, okay, how do I bring value? What I do is I bring something that's valuable to somebody, but the most important thing I do is I give it to them in a way that will actually be valuable for them and in a way in which they see the value. Because if I just say to you, hey, this is something you need to do and you don't get it, you're not really going to take it yeah. and you're not going to really feel comfortable going for it. But my goal is to give it to you in a way where you're like, oh, I see that. I get that. I now want that. Yeah, it's and like that- learning it hands on or learning it through a book. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, because the book is just going to put out information and you have to decipher it. The beauty of a coach is the coach can actually decipher the information and you don't have to do that. Yep. And that's what's cool about – that's what I, I find the riddle of coaching, which is so good. And I know you like to train people too. And, you know, you it's funny. Um, everybody in our circle is really good at working with people too. And I think it's because the relationship that you guys have where you're so used to sharing knowledge that – and it's become this valuable commodity that you keep exchanging. And then other people come in and you share the same way. You guys have a very open situation where my biggest complaint about the martial arts community is that there's so many guys that are closed doored about it. Like they're afraid, like their secrets are going to get out. Like they're not already fucking out there. Like yeah. they got magic. There's no such thing as magic, guys. Like your like, fight's not on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can't fucking go and like see your guys do what they do and figure it out myself. Like stop. You're not speaking in tongues over here and giving me like some, you know, universal truth. Like it is what it is. Like we all, we're all ultimately doing the similar shit. Like, yeah. You know. 
being open is not a problem. Don't you be scared. You just have a different code name. That yeah. That way you say it. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was talking about with a guy just before we started with like strength and conditioning. I was like, yeah, my language is different, but you're going to know my motions. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. You were training with a high-level coach before you came here. You're going to get it. You know. So you train you train now. You, you're you here at Killer B working with me, and you also you go to Nicotones. Yep. And you go to Ricardo's. Yeah. So you go to Ricardo Almeida, and you go to Bulldog Strength and Conditioning. Yep. And you go to Thrive. Yes. Where am I missing? Um, um, I go to the Elite sometimes. Um, like if Corey and stuff's going to be there. If I have a big guy, I'll go. If not, I'll just go to Ricardo's and do some jujitsu and stuff there. You have a good network there. You know, you're, you're, you're going to a group of people with high-level knowledge. And, again, the hardest part for you at Heavyweight is sparring partners, man. Yeah, it, especially running into the, on the regional scene. I was running into – they were trying to match me up to spar people that were other MMA fighters, and then I would end up having to fight them. Yeah, that can be tough, but at the same time, if you look at the sport as a business, it doesn't become an issue. It wasn't an issue on my part. It's I, always an issue on the other people's part. We don't give a fuck. We know that. Yeah, I don't care. You know, because at the end of the day, I got no hard feelings to you. You just signed a piece of paper that said you were better at punching me in the face than I was at punching <laughs> you in the face. So, you know, that, that's the only part I find insulting is when you sign that dotted line that you're basically guaranteeing that you're going to try to whip my ass. Yeah, I, I don't take it personally like that. I look at it as – so when when uh, when Carl went to Contender Series, he fought at 205. Yeah. And him and Corey had to have a conversation. And they they both were like, look, if there's a if, – if you stay at 205 and a fight comes up that matters, you know, the money's right and the winner of the fight's going to get something big like a title shot or something off of it, we're going to have to do it. Yeah. And they happily shook hands on it, understanding like – from the business side of it, if it has, if it makes sense, it makes sense. It is what it is. And a lot of guys get weird. I'm like, you know, you got to get the work in. You don't want to go and the, this one I see a lot. Guys go and they search out people in their weight class to train with because they don't ever want to fight them. Oh yeah, that yeah. one pisses me off. That like silent agreement. Yeah. Well, they're like, well, I can't fight the guy. I've trained with the guy. You trained with him once, like three years ago, in an open mat day. You're not teammates. Stop yeah, it. Exactly. You know, guys get into this like, oh, we're teammates, or we know each other too well. No, we don't. Like, chill out, homie. Like, at the end of the day, it's a job. People don't, people have to separate the two. You know, I can be perfect. Like sparring on Saturdays, I can be perfectly good friends with you guys. But when we go out there, it's business. Yep. And we can be best friends as soon as we get off the mat again. And if you don't fight, you don't get paid. You don't make a living. Exactly. And if the division is, you know not overloaded with people yeah you may have to fight friends so you yeah. both can get paid exactly it's not one of you you're both getting paid exactly i mean one's gonna lose one's gonna lose want to win want to lose it's the agreement but you know what there's 12 other guys on that card <laughs> that lost too like it is exactly. what it is it's funny people with combat sports it's such a mind fuck because if you do lose it you take so much pressure but when you realize it you know what half the guys on the card lost two yeah. and you're all going to move on to the next level and you're going to get a chance to get it back like yes it sucks but learn from it move on do your best not to end up on that side of it again but you're not the only one who lost that day this is not it's not a team sport where the red side fights the blue side yeah it it was 24 individuals on that card exactly it wasn't it wasn't one team versus the other recognize that there's a lot of guys that lost that day and it's not trying to diminish it or make losing acceptable but it's 
it's not as big of a deal as it feels at the time. Unless you're doing it three and four times in a row. You definitely need to win more than you lose. But if you have that random loss on the path in this business, you step in the cage enough times, it's going to happen. Look, Frank Yeager, everybody say never get knocked out, whatever, so tough. He stepped in there against yeah. Ortega. Ortega caught him. It happens. It happens. You may, sometimes you make your biggest leap forward from you know that step back of, of a loss. Frankie whooped Cub Swanson. Exactly. Whooped him. Yeah. Gave him a clinic on his feet. Exactly. And everybody thought he was going to go out and wrestle fuck him, and he gave him a clinic on his feet. Yeah, exactly. Like you make your big, like I said, you make your biggest strides forward from, you know, your steps back. Carl's loss has been, I I hate to say, it's been the best thing, though, because he literally got off the plane, sent him upstate New York, and wrestled with guys going to. Team trials for Team USA in wrestling. Guys ass whooped in wrestling for a week. Came back, started rolling with them yesterday, working on breaking stuff down, and which was a lot of fun because even he forgot that I know what I know at times. And then we started working. He was like, okay, so we're going to do this like three times a week, right? I'm like, yes, we're back. We're good. He's like, okay, that's cool. So it's funny. What he does on his feet is what he has to do on the ground. Yeah. And what you do on the ground is what you have to do on your feet. Yeah, it's, we took opposite routes. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, but you're all going to end up in the same place, and it's crazy. You have the same opportunity he has. So now you go to Contender Series, and the thing I don't, I don't know if people realize that if you win on Contender Series, you're not guaranteed a contract. They're only giving contracts to guys that make a statement on the Contender Series. Yeah, I'm definitely going out there to make a statement, but you have to have that in the back of your head that, you know, I'm not guaranteed anything from no. this. You're not guaranteed it's anything. It's just another fight. Exactly. You're guaranteed a paycheck that's pretty decent. And um, you're going to get some exposure. Exactly. That's the biggest thing is going out there and be able to put yourself in that place and go out there and, you know, I'm working my ass off to go out there and make this guy look like he never fought before and make me look like, you know, the Superman that we were talking about. Yep. Yeah, I I think that it the Contender Series is such a unique sitch because you're going to go out and you're going to fight in front of, like, a dozen people. It's a quiet – you're going to go into the Ultimate Fighter house, the training center – and you're going to fight, and there's nobody there. And Dana White is like five feet from you. You yeah. literally will have a conversation with him after the fight through the cage. It's just that. It's like this crazy, surreal thing. And he might have a celebrity guest. I think I think uh, Mike Tyson was sitting in the crowd last time. Like, it, it just, it's weird. It's just like this whole weird thing. It's not a normal fight experience. Yeah. It feels like a sparring session because no one's there. But then it feels like the craziest, hardest thing you've ever done because you know what it means. And you're looking at the people you want to be your boss sitting right there. It's just crazy. And you're in Vegas and it's just and it's a Tuesday, it's not a Friday or a Saturday. Like the whole thing is just this big mind fuck. It's totally different than any fight you're ever going to have and you either go with it and get pumped up by it and use all of the difference as, you know, fuel for the victory or you get freaked out and you break. Yeah. It's one or the other. There's no in between on this. You either show up and you're like you said Superman or you're not somebody ready for that stage. Yeah. Like, um, that's actually what happened with me when I fought Zoo. He was looking for a fight was there. Yep. And I found out, like, the day before. And then I found out the day before I was the main event. And everything. Like, it happened all over. And it, like, kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, you know, I had a good first round. And then got clipped the second round. But uh, I think that 
having fought in front of him and stuff like that is a little bit of advantage on my part. And you fought and didn't do well. Yeah. So you had to go through all of it. Exactly. So you had to you had to deal with a loss. You had to deal with a loss in front of a name. You had to deal with it wasn't just a loss. Like that was a big fucking loss. Yeah. <laughs> like that was a bad one yeah. in your mind. Yeah. In your mind. But it's funny, it comes full circle. So now you got the opportunity to come back and reclaim that and just show that you as a fighter you didn't you weren't mature enough. Yeah, I mean I was three and fighting a guy that had twenty fights at the time. And it was one of those things that I lost, and I knew in my head that I had more to give, and it really lit a fire under me. And it was probably one of the best things that ever happened in my in my career. I'm I'm glad it happened early. Yes. You know, my last two fights, you've seen them. Yep. I went out there and you did your thing. I made good fighters look like they never fought. Yep. And I'm not stopping. I've only gotten more hungry since I've had those fights because that still stings my ass. And you've had the opportunity. The thing is that your your particular skill set is really strong. And what's good now is you're working on rounding out your skill set so that if what you have felt is your best thing gets stuffed, you now have other tools in the in the toolbox to use. Yeah. So you're not coming out as a two-dimensional guy. You're going to come out three dimensions, four dimensions, and mix it up differently, which is great. And that's what you want to show. You don't want somebody to see, oh, this is just a – this is the same version that I saw lose just against a different guy, so he won. You yeah. want them to say, oh, wait a minute. I saw this guy before? Who's that? This guy is totally different. And that's when you grab attention, and that's when you make people say, you know what? He deserves the shot. Yeah. And that's, that's the cool part about it. I, I, uh, I always look at, at these challenges. For all you guys, you're all young guys trying to make your way, and I look at these challenges – and I just am like, just understand how it's just, it's a fun ride. Don't get overwhelmed by it. Be excited by the opportunity, not overwhelmed by it, because this is all the stuff that you're going to look back at one day and just, just be like, wow, I can't believe I was, I had, I was fortunate enough to have this opportunity. You don't want to lose that. You have to have fun with it and you have to enjoy it and you have to give it everything you've got and you've got to, you know, go out there and, and, and stake your claim and, and, and really define your path. That's it. That's, that's, that's what this career is all about. You live, no matter how long, I mean, if you live a normal lifespan, if you think about it, this is a very small percentage of your life, but it's going to define how you look at your life in a lot greater percentage than the years that you participate yeah, yeah, definitely have to enjoy the ride while you're on it because you're not on it very long. And it's not just enjoy it in terms of carefree, reckless. It's no. enjoying it by respecting it, understanding the impact of it, and trying to do it in a way that no matter how far down the road you get, you look back and, and, and you're happy with what you did. Yeah, you definitely it's not one of those sports where you look back and be like, I could have done more. You never want to – it's so fucked up. You know before a fight – you always think of the sessions you missed, not the ones you crushed. Yep. <laughs> that's that's a fighter's life. That mile you didn't run. Yeah. Like, I had it in the tank. Fuck, yeah. I cut that corner like six months ago. I should have kept going. I might gas tonight. Yeah. Like, it's the demons of doubt start creeping exactly. in, and you got to deal with that. So that's why it's so important that every single thing you do, 
you appreciate the process because you now got enough fights. You completely understand the roller coaster ride that's fight time. Yeah. So you've got to make sure that that roller coaster is not so up and down that you have consistency through it and you have strengths to hold on to because you trained right and you appreciated what you're going to go through. The worst one I find is the long training camp, which you're having. You go on that really long training camp and you get to a point where you're just training and you kind of lose sight of the goal because you've been training so long. Yeah. And then fight week comes and you're like, oh, I actually have to fight. It's not just training. I actually have to do it, and you may not be prepared. That's why it's really important that you keep the end result in your your head and you do a checkup like every couple days. Like, okay, you do remember you're fighting in X amount of time. You do have another human being training to kill you somewhere right now. Yeah, like, exactly. Stay fucking focused. Yeah. Don't go into cruise control, asshole. Keep, keep fucking focused. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, you can get lost in the moment really fast because yeah. all of a sudden – you know, weeks blend together, especially yeah. since we do the, a lot of us do this full time. And you travel a lot. You're driving. How many hours you drive a day? I don't know. In fight camp, probably over five hours a day. Yeah. That's a grind in itself. Yeah, exactly. I live five minutes from here. <laughs> yeah. I live an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that that makes you respect the process, though, in my mind. Yep. Me having to, you know, drive an hour and a half here, driving an hour and a half back, you know. And then going to teach and then going to Knicks and stuff like that. That makes me respect it way more in my head, though. Everybody else has their own thing. But this, I'm putting this much effort into something. And I know I'm going to get the results that I want because I'm putting so much heart and soul into it. Yeah. That I'll never look back and be like, damn, I should have done this a little bit better. So when you're having a bad spot. You don't want to look back and say, I wasted those hundred hours driving to training. Exactly. For this three seconds that I'm about to break. Yep. That's when you suck it the fuck up and you go to work. Yeah, you bite down your mouthpiece. Yeah, get your hands up. You, you do another rep. Go. You do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, you got to appreciate all of it. You got to appreciate why you do it, who you do it for, how you do it, the whole thing. And it's not a weight you carry. It's... It's got to be fuel that drives you because some people look at that and it becomes a weight. Like they're carrying a backpack filled with rocks of responsibility instead of letting the responsibility be an exciting, motivating thing. And that's really the trick. You know, you know, Sam Orpeza from Philly. Yeah. I had a talk with him once and he was like, I don't understand how you get excited by the stress. It took time. I so when you would hit me, instead of saying that hurt, the pain made me say, okay, I'm in a fight. I got to go harder. Yeah. When I was tired, I didn't say I want to stop. I said I need to go harder. And it was because I changed my response to adversity to understanding that that adversity is there is something I have to overcome. And when I do, it's going to make me more prepared for the work I have to do on fight day. Yeah. So you just switch the mentality. So instead of being afraid of gassing, I was like, try and gas me. You can't. Go for it. I'll fucking die before I stop. Exactly. And getting in that zone is where you've got to get to. And that's where instead of the adversity becoming heavy weights, they're exciting challenges. It's just opportunities for you to prove to yourself once again how good and how tough and how whatever you are. Yeah, it's not a burden you carry. Like, I love what I do for a job. Like, there's people out there that work nine to five jobs that make good money that hate their life. Yeah. You know, I... I'm doing what I love to do. 
and you're not getting paid a lot of money and it's really difficult to get by right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. But you can put yourself in a position where you can make a lot of money and get by really well, but you got to you got to take the hits now. Exactly. But that's not like you have the potential to make a lot of money. Like that's the end goal, but that's not what I'm doing it for right there. That's this not moment. the goal. That's like a side benefit. Exactly. It's a bonus. Yeah. You know, but I do this cuz I love to do it. I love to see how far I can push my body. Yeah. And it doesn't burden me. Like, I'm not carrying a backpack of rocks and stuff like that, you know. There's there's days where it feels like that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you can't, stay, you can't stay 100% every day. Exactly. But then there's days where, you know, I feel like I'm floating on a cloud around. Yep. You know, those are the days that I live for because I know those other days will pass. Those rainy days will pass, you know. I had to fight at 40. I had to fight again. I was 40 years old. My son was one. You know, my wife was like, you're nuts, but you need it. I can see it. I needed, I was, I needed to know that feeling one more time. Yeah. Like, I needed that high as a kite feeling from mm-hmm. fighting. I needed it one time. I needed to go out there, do the work, and when it was over, just get that high one more time. Yeah. Win, lose, or draw, when a fight's over, it's the best feeling in the whole world. Yeah. Best feeling, no matter what happens. It's a feeling you can't explain to somebody. No, unless they've really faced, like, a, a very challenging physical situation. Yeah, but that's always the first question when you get new students and stuff like that. They're always like, well, how's it feel to be in a fight? Like, it sucks. Yeah. We you know, how's it feel to win a fight? It's awesome. That's the only, re- only way I can say it. Unless you go do it, it that's the only way you're It's the best, out. worst feeling you'll ever have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just worked my ass off for seven, eight weeks for, you know, a ten-minute fight, you know, five-minute fight. Yeah, but that feeling at the end absolutely makes it worthwhile. It's crazy. 100%. It's crazy. It's definitely it's, – it's, it's an addictive drug. It's why so many guys don't retire. Yeah. Because but some guys don't retire and taint their legacy and stuff like that. I find that if you only exist in that win-loss realm, like everything revolves around that and you really have nothing else of substance in your life, you're incomplete – and then you stay in the sport too long, acting as if it's going to complete you, and all you're doing is is just hurting yourself. You have to have balance in this world. You can't just have fighting. To be successful with fighting, you have to have other things. You have to have other people. You have to have other desires. You have to be able to walk out of the gym and focus on other things and be just as satisfied. You yeah. have to have balance. You that's have why, to. That's why I like doing like hunting and fishing and stuff. Yeah. Everybody has something. Nobody realizes. When, a lot of people don't. But people that know me realize. I mean, I, I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art. I'm a fine artist by trade, and I'm a fight coach. I didn't like know you that. know, yeah. A lot of people don't know it. Like I have a, I have a studio at my house. I paint, so I do. Like I, I get up early in the morning. I freaking paint. This is what it is. It's adorable. Thank you. <laughs> I might punch you in the mouth for saying that. Why do you think I was a fight? Somebody asked me before. They were like, "How did you ever get into fighting?" I was like, "Ah, I got called art fag enough. I had to start fighting back." No, it's not really true. I actually started when I was six. I, I didn't get involved in this because I had issues. I got involved because I watched too much TV and needed to do something on Saturday. Yeah. And I just never stopped. But yeah, it's funny how many guys in fight game though are artists. Uh, it's amazing how many guys have have like weird creative outlets that they they do i i know guys from back in the day that were they were writers they they sketch they drew they're photographers they web designers all these like creative fields i find that creativity and fighting go hand in hand the same energy that i use painting is the same energy i use when coaching and it was the same energy i use when i fight for some reason it's just this it's just this problem that has to be solved. I have to come up with a solution for what's in front of me and it's the same energy to me yeah. so if i don't paint I have to be sparring or coaching. 
And if I'm not coaching or sparring, I have to be painting. It's th- it, that's when I feel okay. Like I'll feel like I'm out of balance. Like I just feel off, and it's because I'm not fully engaged in one of those things at a time. It's it's just my thing. So I, everybody's got that. When you get introspective enough, I mean, I'm 44. I'm not 24 anymore. I know myself pretty good right now. Yeah. So I know the things I have to do to feel good and productive and satisfied. And if fighting is the only thing you have to do that, you're not doing enough outside of the ring. You yeah. need to do shit. That, like I said, that's why I like doing hunting and fishing and stuff. Because yeah. it's, it's patience. It takes a lot of prep sometimes, especially deer hunting and stuff, because I hunt with bow. So it's a lot of, you know... That's a precision pre- It's skill. a lot of pre-prep, and it's a lot of... You get one shot at yes. that thing. And it's very rare that you get two at the same exact thing. And it's a skill... That's a skill-based hobby. It's yeah. a disciplined, skill-based, patience-driven... It's a lot of practice. Yes. You don't just go get a bow and go out and find an animal and... Nope, and... Sling yeah. an arrow at it. Exactly. Yeah. I find that once you become a challenging mindset, you kind of pick up hobbies that do that to you, that are challenging. Yeah, that's something that me and Corey have in common. We yes. Have, even before, on uh, Tuesdays before team practice at Nick's, we were going to the, the range and shooting together and stuff like that. And the funny thing is, is that that's when... Uh, they had like the tournament guys, you know, with like the seven thousand dollar bows and stuff like shooting. And we were out shooting these guys, and you know, I'm shooting at seventy pounds, he's shooting at sixty five, seventy pounds, and they're like these guys that have these crazy bows with these three foot stabilizers on them and stuff like that. And they're like just looking at you, and there's these two big rednecks over there <laughs> shooting. I always found that the confidence I got from fighting gave me the ability to do other things because I had less. Okay, so it's like Dan Gable said, once you wrestle, nothing is hard in life. So fighting is that for me where I don't look at things as challenging because I've actually done something so challenging. So I don't have that initial like fear about a lot of things like yeah. go do this. Okay. It's not like, "Ooh, this is going to suck." Like I don't have that this is going to suck cuz I know it really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's like driving all the time. People are like, "Oh, that must suck all the time driving and stuff like that." I'm like, yeah, but getting punched in the face sucks even worse. Yeah. Like, I, I find getting punched in the face is really not that big a deal. The hardest part is dead-ass tired yeah. and having to finish. And having to finish, yeah. Two uh, minutes. Fuck. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. That's the worst. When you're dead tired, you look over and there's three minutes left on yeah. that time. And you're like, come on. Yeah. Can can this speed up, please? Yeah. You know, and that's when and that's when the internal dialogue starts too, and that's when you start like talking to yourself, and you're not even focused on the, what you're doing anymore. It's just like, how am I going to get through this? Am I going to quit? Am I going to come up with an excuse, or am I going to suck it up and keep going? Yeah, exactly. That monologue starts inside. Yeah. You're like, and then you start thinking about everything, like, oh, I could, I could give up right yes. now, you know, stuff like that. But you being able to push, like, argue, you have that like, argument with yourself inside. I've written about this quite extensively. I actually call it uh, you're going to either you're going to coast, quit, or kill. Yeah. So you say, ah, I'll just do the minimal to get by and see what happens, or I'm going to quit and look for the way out, or I'm going to go after it and I'm going to try and finish this. Exactly. And every fighter, every fighter, I don't care how long the fight is, if it goes more than a few seconds, you're going to run into that question. Exactly. You take that first deep breath. Yep. And that's when you're like, ooh, yep. I'm really doing this. Exactly. Do I really want to be doing this? Or you take that first stiff punch or something like that. You're either going to be like, all right, I'm in a fight. I'm going to fight. Or you're going to be like, crap, I'm in a fight. 
I used to not get into the zone until someone either hit me with something I thought was dirty or they cracked me really good and then I'd be like because it would take away everything if they did something I thought was dirty I would get really angry and then I just want to kill them and if they hit me really hard it would be oh it's not that bad why am I stressing out about this okay let's just do this now like you need to get over that it happens in my fights too my uh, girlfriend Kristen yells at me all the time you take the first 40 seconds of the round you're just you're just testing the waters I'm like yeah, until they hit me once, and I'm like, okay, we're we're good. I'm I'm fine here. I think getting hit in a fight's easier than in training. In yeah. a fight, you have way more adrenaline going, and exactly. you don't feel it. Plus, you have to know how to deal with that adrenaline dump too. Yes. As soon as you get into that second round, and you come off that high a little bit, and you're like, crap, I gotta get off of this stool. The worst one is when the ref does something that makes a guy think they won, but they make him keep going mm-hmm. because you know the minute this the millisecond. Yeah. You think it's over. Boom. Big dump. Yeah. It's just like the biggest relief in the world. And then if you have to like suck that back up and go again, oh, oh my yeah. God. It's impossible. It's so hard. It's like stopping to tie your shoes when you're running. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Imagine, you know, guys that do that fights. That's why tournaments are so hard. Yeah. Guys that fight in tournaments, that's the K1 tournament, I think, was the hardest challenging all of combat sports those guys were fighting three times in one night and that was just and heavyweight and that was just murder you go out there you know how bad your your shins and everything hurt if you get if you have to kick somebody a lot and you're not even a big kicker but i'm sure yeah. your legs hurt after kicking a couple times in a fight yeah imagine going out there and throwing 30 kicks around and get into a war and then you got to come and do it again and then if you win you got to do it again Three times in one night, straight stand up, no clinching, no takedowns, just stand and bang. Yeah, it's like when you get done the ma- uh, the match, and all of a sudden you realize you have mat burn on all over your elbows yeah. and left toe and stuff like that. Yeah. And you're like, what the? I didn't feel this until right now, and it hurts really bad. Those pride tournaments were ridiculous too. Yeah, you're fighting ten minute first round, two five minute rounds after that, and then I I I don't know if they I don't remember if they did the three fights in one night or they had two fights in one night, but. Imagine fighting like Fedor and Krokop and Josh Barnett and those guys banging out a couple fights in a night. Mirko Krokop fought that one. He knocked out Vanderlei Silva and then beat Josh Barnett. But Josh Barnett went into the final with him like a broken eye socket because the first fight was so hard. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Matt, think about that. The damage you take in a fight. Then you got to like suck that damage up and you got to go do it again. Yeah, I feel like that's... It's a lot different nowadays because yeah. medically, medically it's still a lot different nowadays. Well, the rule actually is that you're not allowed to fight more than five rounds in one day. That's why Rex Harris is going into that PFL tournament and their final fights, the first fight is two rounds and then the next fight is three because they have to fight two fights in one night in the finals. So your first fight is two, then the next is three, so it's no more than five rounds in one given night. Wow, I didn't know that. A lot of people don't realize the ABC commissions have that. You can't fight more than five rounds in a given day. Wow. And that goes for all combat sports. You can't fight more than five rounds of kickboxing, boxing, MMA, whatever. Google it up. figure, Find it out. That's the truth. Unless you're fighting on Indian reservation. Then mm-hmm. you can knife fight. They don't care. <laughs> They have no rules. It's like Delaware back in the day when they didn't have a commission. Yeah, I had a conversation with a security guard when I went up to Foxwoods. Uh, I cornered Josh Key, and the guy was like this. I talked to a security guard, and I was like, oh, how do you guys deal with stuff Josh like that? Josh Key. I'm going to yeah. tell you a Josh Key story before I got before I forget it. Josh Key trained with me for a second. Yeah. Josh and I stopped training because he got arrested the day of weigh-ins. So I went all the way to Atlantic City for rain combat. He was supposed to be fighting Tim Troxel. 
Remember Tim Troxel from AMA? This is a while ago. It's before no. you were fighting. And that fight was supposed to happen. And Josh never showed up. And so I decided, let me see what's going on. And I looked at the New Jersey criminal database and saw that he was processed two days earlier. Oh. <laughs> wow. But that's hilarious. But I went up there for his fight and I talked to one of the security guards. And I was like, well, how do they deal with things? And so, like, because there were some people that were at the bar being rowdy and stuff like that. I was like, how do you guys deal with, like, you know, if there's fights and stuff like that? Do you guys call the police or what do you guys do? He was like, no, this is Indian land, man. He goes, they'll do whatever they want here. He yeah. goes, unless I shoot you in the head, he goes, then they might call the state police. Yeah. He goes, but that's a big might. I yeah. was like, that's nuts. Yeah, the reservations are a little rough. Yeah, because they have their own courts and everything. Yes. He goes, and it's by their own law, laws. Yeah, you have tribal police, you have tribal rules. Yeah, you, have, yeah, you got to be careful at what casino you're at yeah. at times. So, I think that the Connecticut casinos are really nice. The the fights that they've had up there are good. I went to we had a guy fight at King of the Cage up there. I've done a ton of kickboxing up there. Uh, was it Mohegan Sun? That's the nice one. Foxwoods I don't like as much. Mohegan Sun's really think, nice. Uh, uh, Foxwoods was still big though. Huge, huge. Like I had to go get my own special like uh, MMA ID through them. Yeah. It was in the casino. It was the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, Foxwoods. I was. I think we did King of the Cage at Foxwoods, and then we did the kickboxing bouts at Mohegan Sun, and we had an IFL there. Remember when they had the International Fight League? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see they're doing that new pro? Team Sitch that's coming Are out. They actually in June. doing that. It's a, a MMA Pro League. It's some guy who was a producer for HBO Boxing, and the guy that used to was it um, Honey Darwish, whatever. They're doing. I actually fought for him as amateur. And what was the name of his show? Was it EFC? EFC. Yeah. So EFC is transitioning to MMA Pro League. I I think and Jim Miller's the coach for New Jersey, and Daniel Gracie's the coach for PA, and New Jersey's fighting PA, and. I don't care what you do, unless it's five guys fighting at one time. It's yeah. not a team sport. I yeah. don't understand the I, team I think concept. Someone, they're doing an amateur version of that too, and a few of Nick's guys are on that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the details on that. Yeah. This MMA pro league came out of nowhere, and they're thinking because the guy that's the president of it is from HBO Sports that it's going to be something. I think boxers have proven time and time again that they the boxing promoters do not understand how to promote MMA. No. It's a completely different animal. It is. And I think this team concept, as nice of an idea as it is, and I'm glad guys are going to fight for it and guys are going to get paid and Jim Miller's going to be able to do his thing and guys will do what they're doing. But ultimately, I never see team MMA being successful. We can't care about it enough. I just don't see it working. IFL was the best shot at it ever, yeah. and it just didn't work. And you're diluting the talent base as it is. And I think that the mindset right now is that the UFC is the NFL of MMA. And anybody not in the UFC is second tier. So if you're not in MMA, you, if you're not in UFC, you should be in Bellator. And if you're not in Bellator, you should be in like the PFL. And if you're below that, nobody gives a fuck. Yeah, exactly. No one gives a fuck. Yeah, because like, you get a lot of people that are like, oh, you fight UFC. It's, it's become yeah. the sport, apparently. So PFL... You win that tournament, Professional Fight League. You yeah. win the tournament, it's a million-dollar payday. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. Now, these guys are going to win, and the truth of it is nobody's going to care in the fandom because yeah. it's they didn't win the UFC belt. Exactly. There's the, the, For the guys in it, more power to you. Make your money, man. Yeah. Because the belts are great, but the money's what you're going to live on. Exactly. <laughs> like, make your money. Make as much money as you possibly can when you can in this business. Titles will come and whatever. Don't look for the glory and the fame. 
look for the opportunity to take care of your family forever. (laughs) So I think it's great. Like Rex Harris is in it. I think it's great. But he wins it. It's it's a huge personal accomplishment. It's a great financial accomplishment. But I still am not sold on the the fan base embracing any of these alternatives right now. Because the UFC is just such a dominant force in the business. Yeah. So no matter what you do, your end goal should be going to the UFC if – if that, if you want to consider yourself to be top of the food chain, that's where you got to go. Yeah, that top one percent. That's yeah. what you want to be. Bellator. I don't care what anybody says. Bellator is the retirement league and the transition league. There's, they're picking up a lot of young talent. And the UFC used to have a policy they wouldn't bring guys over from Bellator, but now they are. Yeah. So guys are going to Bellator now. Like Ricky Mendejas is going to Bellator, and it was the right move for him. UFC in his weight class is completely backed up. Yeah. I don't see him getting a real shot at the UFC, even if he did. He wouldn't get as much money or as many fights as Bellator is probably throwing at him. So I think more power to him. Get in there. Win your fights. UFC will pick you up on the backside of that. And then you've got leverage, too, because you've made a certain amount of money. You've beaten a certain amount of guys. You're in a way better situation. So go where the opportunity is, man. You know, you got you got to fight. But don't think, don't think the fan base is going to go nuts uh, if you're not in the UFC. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And you can't be fighting for a fan base anyway. You got to be fighting to make money and to win. Exactly. You can't be worried about you know. Oh, I'm going to get more Instagram followers off of this. I have a I had a kid fight amateur, and this kid had a lot of personal problems, and he didn't train that well. He didn't train a lot. He didn't listen. But come fight day, he put on a show. He you, you would think he was going into a professional wrestling event, and I had to sit him down. And I was like, you think winning, and it's going to change your life. I was like, you're not going to win until you change your life. Yeah. It's the other way around. Like, the world's not going to look at you differently because you put on a good show. It's what you did to get ready that's going to allow you to execute at a high level that's going to give you all the things you're looking for. Yeah. Like, that void you've got that you can't fill, that victory's not going to change a thing. No. You're going to think it should, and it's going to be even worse because you're going to win, and you're going to think everyone's going to look at you differently, and then you're going to realize no one gives a shit. Yeah. After no that one week, after gives that week a passes, shit. No one's going to care. No one's caring. Exactly. They're all going. They're going to ask you about your next fight. They're not going to care about what you did, how you won by. It doesn't matter. No, and they're going to go back to whatever else it is that they do. Exactly. They're not hanging out with you celebrating. Exactly. Like, you have to live with your shit. They yeah. don't care about your shit. They care about it for a second, and then you got to go figure it out. And that's why I, I say, if you want to, if you come into fighting because you want to be famous, I mean, I don't think it's a bad goal to have over time. But you've got to be a fighter first. That's the credibility. Yeah. That's the skill. That's the, that's the record. That's the discipline. Conor McGregor didn't become Conor McGregor out of nowhere. The guy was dirt poor and fought to get what yeah, he got. He did. And he knocked out a lot of really good people. Yeah. Eddie Alvarez got dropped fast and look at the war that Gaethje and him put on exactly. look at the war that he put on with everybody he ever fought you think Conor McGregor is a paper champ ask Eddie Alvarez about that Eddie Alvarez is a fucking warrior who never quits he is and Conor put him look at away the fights when he fought like Michael Chandler and stuff those were fights yeah yeah and Michael Chandler's a savage yeah and then look at uh look at what he did to Jose Aldo yeah Jose Aldo just couldn't the whole Conor McGregor thing, Jose Aldo couldn't crack it. Jose Aldo's cracked everybody, yep. and he couldn't crack that. And then Chad Mendez thought he was going to just wrestle fuck him, and he still got caught. I mean, Conor McGregor's put on some 
He's just put on some performance. And I'm not sitting here a nut hugger for Conor McGregor. I'm just saying don't criticize the guy and say, oh, he just wants to be, you know, internet famous and that's how he makes his money. The guy was a fighter. Yeah. He is a fighter. And that's how he got famous. So if you want to be famous, be good at this first. Exactly. And then worry about fame. Fame will come if you do it right. It takes a long time to get there. People yes. don't understand. They go into this thing thinking, you know, hey, in two years I'll be, you know, in the UFC, you know. That's stuff like that. How many times you see in the gym the guy comes in like, I want to fight. How long does it take? Well, a couple months. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You've never done anything before. Exactly. I don't even know if you can like walk and chew gum at the same time. And you're telling me, when am I going to get you a fight? Yeah, I, I'm running into that problem now, too, with a few of my guys. Yeah, and you don't want to hold them back to, and discourage them. And the other part of it is there's so many shitty coaches out there that will throw anybody in the cage that they'll yeah. find somebody that will get them a fight. 100%. It's the wrong fight. It's yeah. the wrong thing to do. They might even get them a fight that they can win by putting them against another bum. But you got to put the time in and you got to go with quality people. And if quality people are telling you to slow down, take your time, listen. Yeah, don't let your ego get in the way. It's That's... that's that's a it's a tough lesson for young guys to learn, but you know, I mean, I, I'm 44, looking back at things, and I and I look at the mistakes I made when I was younger, and I can't fault myself because I was young and I didn't know any better. I can't say I can't get mad at my 24 year old self for not knowing what I know at 44 because I didn't have the experience. I have the experience now, but a guy who's 24 that's coming into my gym, I would hope would respect. At least half of what I say. Yeah, because you've been through it. I've been through it, and I've we've got the proven results. Exactly. And it's not just me. It's not what I've done. It's what the people here have done. What yeah. this community has done. What the system's done. Like we've proven time and time again that you know we can hang at the highest levels, and we can come out of nowhere. I, I the one thing I've always prided myself on is that I have uh, I have at least a dozen guys that fought way above where they should and did really, really well. Look at Carl. I mean, Carl's first fight was against the kickboxer with 105 fights. Yeah. And he beat him, even though he didn't. <laughs> he withdrew on the banner. Watch the fight. You'll understand what I'm saying. There's only 10. There's only a 10 count, but for some reason in France, it turned into a 24, but whatever. Shit happens. But Carl fought Jerome the banner in his first fight, which put him on the world stage immediately. Then, you know, he lost his two fights in glory, but he didn't fight a guy who had less than 50 fights in his second and third fight. Yeah. And then got hurt and then came back and then out of nowhere made it to the UFC. And the UFC even said that he's only one of like four guys with as few fights to make it in there. Yeah. I mean, he's in a very, very small class that was able to make the jumps he made. And it was just because we do the work. We're not afraid to take on the challenge. And, you know, we definitely don't get stars in our eyes about the challenge. Like there's definitely levels. We understand there's levels to the sport. But we're not overwhelmed by another human's record. Like, it's just another person. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly. They put you in with a guy who has 50 fights. Okay. I might be the guy who's his kryptonite. Who gives exactly. a shit? Like, it is. I might do something that much more better than him. Yeah. Or those 50 fights of maybe he's not so good. Maybe he's a beat up old man now. Yeah. Like, maybe whatever. Maybe bums. It doesn't matter. Or maybe he fought the best of the best and he's not so great anymore. Like, you can't be scared of reputation. you got to be confident about what you've got. See how it matches up and go for it. Yeah. Like you said earlier, everybody is a human at yep. the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, Vitor Belfort proved it in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Fucking Leona Machida in that kick again. Yep. You know, it is what it is. So, Teed, we've been talking for a while here. Yep. And you have a long-ass drive. Yep. So, I'm going to let you get out of here. All right. So, tell people where they can find you. What's your social stuff? They want to follow you. Right, so uh, my Instagram is Teed MMA. Um, 
I don't really do Twitter too much, but uh, Twitter is just at Teed, four-letter four letter Twitter. Wow, you own Teed. Mm-hmm. There's no other Teed. Mm-mm. Wow. We got to look uh, that up. There's probably somebody out there that's pissed that you took that. Um, I get tagged in stuff all the time from there's a band over in Europe that's abbreviation is Teed. It's uh, Totally Ignormous Extinct Dinosaurs. Not gonna I'd look it up. That's, that's nice. actually appropriate for you too. Totally yeah. enormous. You're not extinct. I'm not extinct. But you're kind of a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I get tagged and stuff all the time, and it's like, oh, I love you at Teed. That's really funny. And then I just reply to people like, thanks. Like that's really funny. That's like that the John Jones guy. Yeah. There's a guy with Twitter. That's John Jones. It's like a white guy in Colorado. That's hilarious. Yeah. But uh, yeah, do that. I stream on uh, Twitch. You know, on video games and stuff like that. That's well, all right. What's your game? I don't play games besides kids games. I play Lego, whatever on on PS4. I play Lego Star Wars, Lego Marvel Avengers two, um, superheroes two, Lego Avengers. So if you know children's games, I'm good because my son's five. Don't think I'm creepy. No, <laughs> but what uh, do you play? I play like uh, Players Unknown Battlegrounds. Uh, I don't really. I don't play Fortnite. I don't. I don't know why the hype is. I didn't find out about Fortnite until about a week ago. Somebody told me, and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then they like showed it to me. It's like a shooter where you can like build walls and stuff. Like I said, my wife is pregnant. I don't get to do these things. (laughs) But I go in there. That's teed MMA also. So uh, everything's either teed or teed MMA. And your fight coming up is Dana White's Contender Series. What's the date? July 31st. July 31st. Getting your shot to go to Vegas, do your thing. I know you're going out soon for pre-production, which is kind of cool. You get to go to the UFC Training Center and see how they do it out there, which will be nice. And it's going to be hot because it's Vegas in summer, which will... Yeah. yeah. I looked up uh, today what it's going to be about my fight around the thing. It's going to be like 105. The crazy part about it is because it's so dry, Yeah, it feels... About 90 degrees. Yeah, that's what It doesn't what it feel that bad. Yeah, it says real feel. is like 87 degrees Yeah, or it's not like that. that bad. And even indoors, it's way better. Yeah. I know Extreme Couture doesn't have air conditioning. They just have ceiling fans in the summer, and it's not that bad. Yeah. It's actually weird because you sweat profusely, and it dries super fast. Yeah. Where here, you just have swamp ass all day if you don't get out of it. It just sucks in Jersey in the summertime with the humidity, but... All right, so you can find Teed there on social. Do you have a website or anything yet? Uh, not yet. Do you have anybody you want to make shout-outs to? Uh, big shout-out to Eat Clean Bro, you know, doing all my meals this fight. Um, Thrive Sports and Recovery. Um, Bulldog, you, Nicotones, you know, thank you guys for everything you do for me. Um, uh, New Jersey Nutrition, I just linked up for them for this camp, you know, giving me all my supplements and stuff like that. New Jersey Nutrition? Yep. Yeah, they're good. They they helped out Carl a lot. Carl uh, got a, a really good sponsorship from MPH, and he switched over to them, but we will always be thankful to NJN for their support of what we do. And, yeah, you got good, you're in good hands. You got everything covered, all your bases covered. You're grappling with the best. You're striking with the best. That's my humble brag. Not so humble, but I'm bragging. You know, you've got the best fight team around you for getting sparring in in the area, and yeah, you're 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 in good hands, man. So I think a tender series is going to be a lot of fun. I, who are you fighting? I'm fighting Juan Adams. Okay, and out he's of Texas. Out, out of Texas. I actually believe he's from the gym that Carl beat his guy in contender to. It's just weird how cyclical this is getting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know. I actually, I've. I think it's what, something like that. Something like where Carl's guy was out of. But um, I watch. I've, I've seen you both fight. I've watched them both. 
and I and I look at it and I say it's a it's a it's a similar past experience, way different execution. I think it's going to be an interesting test of you know basically who can implement their game plan better and it, it's it's going to be interesting to see you know you know who I think is going to win. Yeah. And uh, I think you're going to do it in a fashion that will bring attention and get you to the place that you you deserve to be and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Teed, it was a pleasure having you on today. I'm glad you came through. This is the Hivecast. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes. Uh, we're also on TuneIn. You can get it at thehivecast.com. You can find me, Wright 732com Also, Wright 732 on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the gym, KillerBCSA.com. Also, KillerBCSA on Instagram, Twitter. Um, all that's on Facebook as well. Got to do a shout-out to Sucker Punch Entertainment, as always. They're Teed's manager. They manage Carl. They've helped us out tremendously. Been a huge supporter of the gym and the show. And then uh, throw it out to Pure Spectrum if you need CBD. That is a very good supplier, someone that has uh, given us a lot of recuperative tools. The guys at Thrive, thank you as always for supporting the team, helping the guys out, keeping everybody recovering and fresh. I know Phil Caracapa is defending his belt next Friday, June 8th at Rand Combat. And uh, he's been putting his body through hell, and Thrive's been a huge part of recovery there. Keith over it. Bulldog Strength and Conditioning and Freehold 2 basically trains all the best athletes in the area. He's the man. He's got the program going. And people are leaving really high-level coaches and going to him. And the only reason they're doing it is because he's getting the results. It's clear that his results are far and away better than anybody else right yeah, now. He's a madman. Total madman in the best way possible. Exactly. And I hope people speak of me the same way. So, all right. This is Brian Wright with Sean Teed. This is the Hivecast. We are out.